0: <laughs> For the
1: record. For the 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 record. For for the first time, um, much apologies as well for our kind of—I think it might be two-week gap—but I was moving house and I had no internet. Um, Zach wasn't moving house, but he didn't have internet. I had either. no internet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my name is Sean Tierney. Thanks, William, for joining us again. With me is my good friend Zach. How are you, friend? I am not too bad, bro. How are you getting on? I'm pretty good, man. I'm I I am pretty good. I must say it's been very stressful moving house and stuff, but um, it's great now, we're kind of set up and uh, ready to go and back in back in podcast action.
0: Yeah, I I moved myself back in when was it August, and uh, to to where I I am currently recording from right now, and yeah, you, you, when you really start a record collection and you do your oh. first. You were like, "Oh, now I get it. Now it's I get
1: brutal."
0: It. Yeah, it's fucking shit, man. You gotta like, you gotta pack it up in alpha, in the order you have it in, and make and label the fucking boxes so they don't get mixed up. And goddamn, like, I'm like, talk, like when you live in a flat like 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 not on the ground floor and like and you're moving man like up and down staircases with boxes of vinyl for what felt like an eternity man yeah it's a
1: it, it's it is a kind of a nice problem to have though because you know we've got a record collection but moving it was was brutal um so it was.
0: have you ever seen uh like if you ever look at pictures or videos of Jeremy Baum from Touche Amore his <laughs> yeah. record collection and yeah. There and I've seen comments from people before asking him, uh, "What's it like to move it?" <laughs> and he, he's just replied like a fucking nightmare. Like a like, there's a whole day of moving just in his record, just in his records. Record. Yeah, uh,
1: it's awesome. That's what I aspire to, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I, uh, my life we, goal.
0: We had a cat sitter recently, and she was like talking about one of her clients who's a DJ and has all these. My like huge record collection, and she was saying to me, "Oh, you know, he he's got one of those library ladder things, so he can slide along to go up to the really high shelves. And, you know, maybe you'll be there. Yeah, she's like, maybe you'll be there one of these days. <laughs> and She was like, don't tell norma I said that. <laughs> oh yeah, like fucking hell! I don't like that's the thing, you know. Where, like, what do we want more records? Where are we going to put them? Fuck knows.
1: Fuck knows. Yeah. Um but it's 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 all good. It's all good. And like I said I kind of I'm back. I'm I'm hungry. I'm ready to do some podcasting with you because I feel like today we're going to have a good bit to talk about. Um because the album we're going to be talking about today is Turnover's new record called Myself in the Way. Um and I'm very very excited to get into that with you. Um but before we get there, I know this news is a, you know it's maybe a week out of date or whatever. But who gives a fuck? I have to talk to you about the best band in the whole world getting not one, not two, but three Grammy nominations. Turnstile, baby.
0: Yeah, I couldn't, like, as all we always say, you know, couldn't give, like, less of a fuck about the Grammys, but it's just the fucking thought of a bunch of dildos who know nothing about music, who, like, slap praise and awards onto, like, the most, accessible acts that they can think to like promote and the fact that even they they had to have had to give turnstile their due not once twice but three times for turnstile get for a hardcore band to get three nominations is like for those grammy people to even know the name turnstile is just surreal in itself like
1: it's it it is pretty amazing but like i mean (laughs) like the categories are so stupid i mean the same song is nominated as both the best rock song and the best metal performance. Like I Blackout. never
0: understand what, what, what's the difference between best song and best performance. What the oh, fuck does that mean? Like I have how, no idea.
1: How can, like,
0: the, how can the same song be best rock song and best metal performance? It makes no fucking... I'm saying the Grammys, like Frank Ocean, Channel Orange, one of my favorite albums of 2013, Grammy award winning. But the fucking Grammy it one was like... Uh, our Best Urban Contemporary Album. And even like Tyler, the creator said one year, he was like, what the fuck is Best Urban Contemporary yeah, like, Album? Like,
1: and, and then like, the, so Best Rock Song is Blackout and Best Rock Performance then is Holiday. Like, it just shows you like, as we've said several times, like the Grammys are so fucking stupid, but it's just so awesome to see a band like who are a hardcore punk band and as we've been championing since the moment this podcast started, and long before it, like they are, they're they're the best band in the world at the moment, and I I just don't think that's even, you know, it's even up for debate at this at this point, like you know,
0: oh, man, I've I've seen them live three times, and when I was sick, I was sick there a couple of weeks ago, laid up with COVID again, and I watching just just watching random shit online, and I found myself one evening just watching about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of live turnover videos from the turnstile videos ha sorry because we're reviewing turnover today uh watching turnstile live videos from the last like year since glow on came out and man they are just so good live and they're just to see like a band that like the first time i went to see live to get hype you know, I was watching YouTube videos of them on hate five, six, playing yeah. small clubs and like thinking, oh, man, these guys are so good live. And now you watch videos of this like third, third style of Glastonbury and shit. And they're like, and Brendan Yates has like this entire thousands of people eating out of the fucking palm of his hand. They're, they're unbelievable. They're, they're like, just unbelievable, the man. Impossible. Yeah, they're, I i I have never been more happy to see a band succeed, I think, in my life yeah. than I am seeing turnstile right now and and what they're doing. And even that that podcast recently with uh, one of the lads from God's Hate and he was talking about people bragging on turnstile success and how it's not true. Heart. It's like, what are you talking Turnstile success is all of their success. He was saying how, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Like, it's That's no the attitude to have as well. Like, yeah. no coincidence that in the last year turnstile have become the biggest hardcore band in the world Mm -hmm. and outbreak fest and uh sound and fury nearly doubled in expansion and labels like closed casket and flat spot and triple b are doing the best business they've ever done and the fact that hardcore as a genre and hardcore bands end and speed and the success and the exposure they're getting is unprecedented to what it would have been if they all appeared five years ago hardcore is in the best place it's fucking been it, definitely in the 20, yeah in Ever. the 21st century anyway yeah, this is the best hard. like I don't think even old hardcore heads could have foreseen hardcore having a resurgence like this and becoming no. such a prevalent genre it's it's the new fucking it's what like when we grew up listening to Metallica and Megadeth and Metal and th- that's what hardcore is becoming and it's Do you know what amazing. I feel
1: it, it it feels very like new metal to me. Do you remember yes. when like new metal was inescapable to the point where, you know, like big baggy jeans and backwards red baseball caps were actually a thing in Ireland. like, you know, and like turnstyle have that same feel to me of a band who, you know, the last band who have done it in, in alternative culture, Mike M, where like they changed fashion and they changed the way people dressed as well as successful in music, you know, and I, I just think that Turnstyle are so accessible. They're so open, they're, they're so inclusive that I, I think that they could change shit. Like I, I don't think that seeing Turnstile headline the three arena is that unlikely in a couple of no, years time. No. Like, you know what I mean? No, no. are no, completely. It's, it's, it's just awesome. So like, let's obviously look forward to them, to losing out to Ozzy Osbourne, Muse and Brandy Carlyle at the, the Grammys. But, you know.
0: But for them to so have be the nomination, yeah, the nomination is just immense in itself. Like, It's incredible. And I, and I will say, as I always say, like, the way you don't really need to be into dance music or electronic music at all, but you can listen to Discovery by Daft Punk and be like, this is a great fucking album. Like, you don't need to know a single thing about hardcore or if you have even the slightest predilection to not even alternative, just rock music in general Yeah. and you hear it go on, you can't ignore how good it is. From no, the it's impossible. How catchy it is, the product. It's just... Anyone who knows rock music, in just rock, I'm talking from the fucking ethos of '60s when rock began. Mm-hmm. Like, you, objectively, Gloan is just such a fucking brilliant dad. Like, and there's uh, there's no one who can front like Gloan is. Gloan's like dance music. It just it's in you straight away. Everything. Oh God, this is not a turnstile episode. I'm sorry, but you set me off.
1: But yeah, look, I I just wanted to bring it up because I think it's great that a band who are a hardcore punk band now with three Grammy nominations more than likely they're not going to win any of them but you know who cares they're they're still the best it's band the,
0: it's the recognition like yeah exactly of, and speaking about Turnstile the vocalist Brendan <laughs> Yates we both love actually does a feature on the album we're reviewing today the title track of turnover myself in the way worst segue I have ever done on this podcast
1: Ah, I think it was pretty good I I'm 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 backing it I'm backing it nice one Uh, um yeah so we're doing turnover um not turnstile not turnstile which I'm sure there is going to be a couple more slips along the way um yeah what I wanted to get into was um I don't know anything really about uh turnover um and You were kind of, when we were discussing what we were going to do for this week and whatever, you were saying, oh yeah, man, you need to like check out this and you need to check out that. And I was like, they're a completely different band and all this carry on. So I went back and I did, um, I did some of my homework, maybe not all of it, but I did do some of it. And so I didn't listen to myself in the way first. I listened to peripheral vision first and peripheral vision. It's quite the record.
0: <laughs> Peripheral Vision is a special record, man. It's one of my favorite records of 2015. And I go back to it all the time and it makes me weep. And anytime I have ever recommended Peripheral Vision to anyone, they've come back to me and literally been like, this fucking turnover band. Who are the, who? Who are this band? Like, where did they come from? Peripheral Vision's a modern classic.
1: But peripheral vision i i must say i found extremely enjoyable i really really dug it and um, just that question you just asked there who are this band who are this band tell us a little bit about them for those so, for those who are uninitiated
0: the thing about turnover is they're probably the most like ridiculous example of that early wave of run for cover emo revivalist bands and how much they've kind of changed. So I mean they they all start they started around the exact same time as Basement and Citizen mm-hmm. and a lot of bands and that kind of scene. And what's
1: funny I is I can definitely hear a lot of um, Basement in stuff like Peripheral Vision, I think.
0: Yeah, but, but what's funny is if you if you go back, I mean Citizen and Turnover had a split EP very early on in both their careers and it's one of those things where they almost but they sound very similar. They've got that pop punk emo Mm -hmm. sound down and Turnover's debut album. They have a self-titled EP, but their debut album, Magnolia. It's a great record, but in hindsight now, it completely pales into everything they've done after that because Magnolia is very much, Magnolia just, it sounds like Youth by Citizen. It sounds like I Wish I Could Stay Here by Basement. It sounds like, Floral Green by Title Fight. It's that, it's emo punk.
1: It it's is. Standard. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, actually, I, I listened, like I said, I listened to Peripheral Vision first and then I went back and I listened to Magnolia and that was a mistake on my part. Like, you know, I don't think... When you listen to Peripheral Vision, that you can give Magnolia a fair shake as the debut, as the, the beginnings of this band, you know, like because no, um, there's a there is a big, big gap in quality, I think. I mean, Magnolia is a perfectly fine record. It does what it sets out to do and it does it quite well, like you said, but it's quite similar to their peers. You know, there isn't much that would, for my money, would set it apart, if that makes sense.
0: I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't that's exactly it and that was my that was always my kind of stance with turnover when I heard magnolia I I liked it but I I was already really into basement and citizen and title fight and this just seemed kind of More of, of the same. To that mm. yeah but not hitting me the same way and I think the band felt that too so there was a bit of an identity crisis after magnolia and then peripheral vision comes out 2 years later the distortion's gone There's a lot, it's a whole new dream pop shoegaze inspired direction. It's all reverb and fucking loads of echo and effects and delay. And you like start looking at live videos, and they've all grown their hair long and they're all wearing goo goo dolls and Oasis t shirts and slow dive t shirts. And they, they, they obviously kind of, they very quickly started expanding their tastes beyond the emo and punk scene and realizing that wasn't the band they wanted to be.
1: Well, I think that that actually can happen to a lot of bands that when you, you know, they might have grown up, you know, with Start like, young, like, but they might have grown up listening to Oasis and Counting Crows, you know, they're, they're our bands. But then just by virtue of picking up a guitar, you get involved in a scene in your local area or, or, you know, and it's not necessarily the stuff you start listening to. But then when yeah. you you kind of get a more grip of yourself and your identity as an artist or a performer, you're like, no, let's let's try and make some of the music that, that we love and we were inspired by, you know? So you can see that way they might shift into a different genre rather than just going with the scene of the time.
0: Exactly. And that kind of, that complete identity shift was something I think they were very conscious about and they they decided to commit to it full speed because the thing about the music on Peripheral Vision is because it's in such a different tuning to the stuff off Magnolia and all their previous releases, They it wasn't feasible for them to do songs from the earlier releases live. So because, you know, it was like a completely different gear setup almost. And because they were a band like touring in vans, they couldn't be bringing all these guitars and all these. So they kind of just committed to keeping the set made up of Peripheral Vision material, which kind of irked some fans at the start because it was a case of a band changing direction with their second record. And from then that point, omitting any material before that record when they play live. Mm -hmm. And I even, first time I saw them live, and like, I'm sorry, but I like, I'm a big, at this point, I love Turnover. They're one of my favorite bands. But at this point, when Peripheral Vision come out, it to me, it was a complete like, holy shit, where does this band come from? And wow, this is a million times better than all their early material. So I, I was going to see them live, glad that they were only just doing stuff off peripheral vision. But I'll never forget, you literally had people in the crowd uh, shouting Sasha, which is a song off their self titled EP. It was one of their most well known songs when they started. And the, and it, it was like a running joke with the band that, like at shows, everyone would just go, Sasha. Sasha and you could just say he's just like no like he was like for, for numerous reasons no that's not happening like so I remember particularly myself I was so intrigued to see where they would go after peripheral vision I just think like for anyone who isn't too familiar peripheral vision sounds like an emo band channeling my Bloody Valentine and Joy Division and even Echo and the Men. To me, it's it's like an emo band, like soaking up all of that post-punk and dream pop and like uh, shoegaze and just really, cut, but still stay maintaining this like very much emo front. You know, the lyrics are really personal and deep and the songs have this catchiness to them. And I think peripheral vision's immense. And then they followed that up quickly with a seven inch uh, called Homeless Pleasures which just kind of was two with two tracks that kind of I, I guess really hit home that this was now turnover sound, like very much. Like that this would and they even I remember reading an interview around the time that Homeless Pleasure Seven Inch came out with the bassist, and he he basically said that where turnover would go now wouldn't be as drastic a shift as it was from Magnolia to Peripheral Vision. He was saying how, you know, he says where they'll go from now, Peripheral Vision is basically the blueprint for their progression from now on. He says, of course, they're going to progress and expand and change shape now. But he said that it, will, it won't it will be as like a monumental a sound shift as it was from Magnolia to Peripheral Vision. That like Peripheral Vision was the beginning of the band they always wanted to be. And Humblest Pleasures is kind of cementing that. So then fo- following the year 2017, good nature drops. And I think good nature is criminally underrated. There are some people who think it's boring, uh, but those people are dumb. Uh, good nature is like uh, objectively dumb. Good nature is like taking the lessons from peripheral vision, but instead of focusing on the darkness, it's focusing on like the brightness, if you will. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. the artwork, Vision is like this girl, and in, in like this really hazy black and red kind of picture, and all the artwork is very black and very like hazy red imagery.
1: Whereas you know, the um, you know, that kind of revival of like kind of occultist, female led, uh, kind of rock, satanic rock music. Yeah, the cover of Peripheral Vision looks like an album cover for one of those bands. Yeah, yeah. It like it doesn't. It doesn't look like an emo, like dream pop kind of. It's. It, it. It actually. It surprised me a lot. Actually, it was interesting.
0: While the artwork for Good Nature looks like a Jack Johnson album,
1: it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the MGMT artwork. or someone.
0: Yeah, it's like vibrant pink sky and jungle and all these animals and it's a mm. real love. It almost looks like a children's book at times. Like it's. It's a gorgeous looking artwork. Mm-hmm. Like. And and that ties in with the fact that good nature is very much, you know, I think like even lyrically, you can hear Austin Getz, the primary songwriter, Peripheral Vision is very like dark and troubled and depressive whereas Good Nature is very much I think they he'd moved to California at that point and he'd kind of dealt with some like issues of substance abuse and relationships and there seems to be a much more clear-headed approach on Good Nature just even the the opening track Supernatural is like one of the best songs they've written and uh
1: massive that, numbers of plays on Spotify as well it's got like 30 million plays
0: Yeah, Supernatural is just an immense tune and and Good Nature is relative for the most part, it's the kind of you know, I think they even said something along the lines when the album came out that they could have easily done Peripheral Vision Part 2 they could have done another dark reverb drenched kind of echoey emo album, but instead they've went, they opted for this real kind of almost tropical dreamy, happy kind of chill wave kind of record and there are growing pains on it. There are a couple of songs that fall short of like the intensity of peripheral vision, but the standouts on good nature, like Sunshine Type, Butterfly Dream, Pure Devotion, uh, all that it ever was. Even, all
1: like, even the song titles, you know, suggest that switch, you know, like Butterfly yeah. Dream isn't going to be like, you know, an emotionally like fucking devastating punishing hardcore song is it like you know
0: and it's funny because you say that because butterfly dream is probably like one of the darkest songs on that <laughs> album L- lyric lyrically again real feel-good song but uh but like but there's definitely where where peripheral vision was like austin gets wallowing in his issues good nature is like him realizing that he can fix them in a way Okay, cool through positivity and shit and so so Good Good Nature is a lovely record but it's really you know at this point I think people who loved a bop and loved to scream along at turnover shows realised that band was gone that turnover were the band to chill out to now they were the sunny Mm. Sunday afternoon relax band and does that continue
1: into Altogether
0: yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, All Together then, which was their last album before the new one came out in 2019, and All Together, All Together was where, I think All Together was the album where some people completely gave up on turnover, because they just, it, it was so not their bag anymore, because okay. it's not, they are not. At this point in their career, like they are not like an emo band. They're not even really a rock band. They're on all all together is when they finally brought in like the myriad of keyboards and synths and started really embracing disco and retro kind of vibes. And okay, all together together is great. All together and all together has nods to the more dream poppy post-punky tracks from peripheral vision and good nature here and there but for the most part there's a lot of lot of chilled out songs like i said big reliance on real retro synthesizers nords and shit like that uh and it was the first time they started working with a sax player Hmm. who makes an appearance again on the new album but yeah. So like, like I saw some people with Altogether there, like just thought it was super boring, but I, I loved Altogether because at this point I knew like turnover is music to, it's music to sit down and close your eyes to and to read the lyrics and to really take, it's not music to be like doing stuff to because it'll breeze by you. You kind of need to listen to it. Mm. And by this point Altogether really to me showed that they were, they you know, they were full on in this for themselves. And anyone else who wants to come along for the ride is more than welcome, which I always love when a band are like are doing it for themselves and they never backtracked. They've committed to this journey from peripheral vision to good nature to all together. And what's curious is even though these like albums have been so progressive and shifted in sound, it's been a standard two year cycle each time, 2015, 2017, 2019, album, tour, album, tour. They've never broken cycle until COVID happened. And I was actually meant to see them in March of 2020. And they were playing the same night as Turnstile. And I remember trying to decide who I'd go to. And I thought, I've seen Turnover twice already. I'll go see Turnstile, And then it just so happened. Then the Turnover actually canceled their show because COVID hit and all the gigs got canceled. So Turnstile still did their show, but Turnover canceled their tour. So I never saw turnover on the Altogether Cycle. Now, their new album that's come this year in 2022, Myself in the Way, that's the longest gap in turnover albums yet.
1: But that might not be like, you know, that might not be, you know, they might have actually done the same amount of time of writing and recording, but it was just pushed back or they couldn't get together or, you know. What actually
0: happened was when when covid happened and their tour got cancelled and they, they basically ended the all together tour cycle early after covid they all kind of realized that the last few years had been like 2013 2015 2017 2019 album tour album tour album mm-hmm. tour and life was kind of passing them by so they actually took uh they like took time
1: nearly 10 I, years when you think about it, like as well, you know, so like it's, you know, it's a yeah. significant chunk of their lives.
0: So like with COVID happening, I think it kind of gave them, it gave them cause to kind of pause a bit, you know, mm. and just appreciate life a bit more. And even like reading into the album a bit, because I was just like big into turnover. It even says on the Run For Cover site. You know when the world shut down turnovers bandmates spend time meditating painting volunteer firefighting skateboarding and working in state parks deepening interests and growing roots in places they hadn't been able to while living life on the road for so long and that's a the reason i'm kind of going into this a little bit is there's a big lyrical vibe on this new record myself in the way that to me i interpret as austin gets kind of realizing How much of his life he has spent on the road and how much of like how much time like that takes away from his relationships Mm. and how he's kind of been just because he's this has been his life for so long he had he wasn't really able to process until COVID happened and he took a break and they all slowed down how much like how much time he was kind of spending on one thing and hence like the the fact the album's called myself in the way and the hook on the title track is you know i can't put myself in the way of our love again which to me is him kind of realizing I, I'm basically turnover has been the most important thing in my life. Always mm. having to start to realize maybe there are people and things I need to start putting on an equal fucking keel with turnover in their importance to my life. Like, so that, and that's where we arrive at myself in the way their first album in three years, longest gap yet in terms of touring and create in a creative process. And I've, fucking love this album and I think it is-
1: <laughs> you're just diving straight in diving right in
0: I think okay. it's everything they were I think it's the culmination of all the experiments across the last four records because Magnolia was very much early growing pains record but from peripheral vision to good nature to all together now to myself in the way this feels like a culmination of everything but especially at all, if all together was like all together feels like it was the practice run for what they've accomplished on myself in the way, okay. You, let's hear from you a little bit. I've um, been going for
1: a while. Well, like seeing as how you've just basically said that you love this record, um, I'm going to give you my overall feelings as well. Um, I, I really like this record. Like I, I really like it. For the most part. Okay. There, there are some things that I am not gone on. I think that there's some. Like. Let's run through the record. Okay. One of my biggest pet peeves comes right at the very, very fucking start. I hate unnecessary intro tracks. Tears of Change, this first track proper, has a fucking intro on it. So either make Stone Station part of Tears of Change or don't put it on there. And the same goes for the Stone Station reprise fuck off they do nothing for the record
0: i i i agree with you halfway i really <laughs> like stone station reprise, reprise musically
1: lovely like or just put that on its own as a little interlude just fuck off with your unnecessary intro track they vex me Heck. so much
0: I think Stone Station reprise actually serves a purpose because it's actually an extended instrumental interlude with a nice sax solo from Justin Bartlett. But yeah, I totally agree that the the intro Stone Station is like it's like thirteen seconds of synth flutter, and yeah. then and then synth flutters of Tears of Change start. So I'm like, that just should have been the same song. Exactly. I, I completely agree. It's probably the most unnecessary instrumental intro to an album I've heard
1: in all year. Definitely. Quite a long time, yeah. Um, before. Before we get into the album properly, okay, because that's like I have a couple of other negatives, but we'll we'll get to them as we as we move through. They're not really anything major, I don't think. Um the place we have to start with this record is the fucking production. Oh my god, Williip is a fucking goddamn genius. He's a like, genius.
0: I last night I or yesterday rather, I because I got myself in the way on vinyl, it was waiting for me at work. But I was listening. I'd listened to it a few times, uh, like on Spotify already. Hmm. So, and, and just uh, quick side note: uh, Will Yip, who we have both mentioned on his podcast several times, he's one of our favorite producers, and he's produced. He produced the second Turnstile record, "Time and Space," and he's most modern great emo and punk bands. Will Yips had a hand in the album. He did all the title fight records. Uh, he like, just, he's just. Little- he's incredible. Yeah, the list is endless when it comes to Will Yip. We could do a whole episode about him, but, but he is... Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I, I, there's an idea. an idea. There is an idea. Our top like, three oh. Will Yip albums. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're, we're putting a pen in that. We're putting a pen putting in that, a
1: pen in in that
0: 100%. 100%. But Will Yip is almost, I should have said this earlier, Will Yip is kind of the, he's the unofficial, he's yeah. the George Martin of turnover.
1: It, that's I mean, a good way of putting it because I actually like I don't I, I don't follow a turnover on social media or any other members but I do follow William and he's like I'm so proud me and my brothers released this album today it's been a long journey blah 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 you know he seems he's really part of it like you know it's not I, I it's own not every, a separate thing
0: I own every turnover album on vinyl and Bar Magnolia the first one and every album I own the credits say produced by Will Yip, written by Turnover and Will Yip. Mm. So he he's he's literally credited as a co-writer on like every album. It's all it's always written by written and recorded by Turnover and Will Yip, produced by Will Yip. So he is, for all intents and purposes, an additional member in the songwriting and recording process for each album, which you don't see on most Will Yip produced albums. So obviously like in with Turnover they they even in the Even in myself, in the way the latest album, the insert uh, is made up of a collage of photos of the band in the studio recording, and Will in like every photo you usually wouldn't see that. No, I don't think so. No, he is basically their additional member, and
1: the George Martin. I love that. That's great. George
0: Martin turnover, and he has. He's he and he's been intrinsic to their style. He he produced Magnolia like, and when Mm. the band came to him and said. We want to do a complete genre shift and we want to go in this direction. And you know what? Another thing, another aside, I will say fucking another testament to why I adore William is that in 2015, he put out not one, but two emo slash punk bands albums who both wanted to do the exact same stylistic shift into a shoegaze dream pop direction. He did that for Turnover, Peripheral Vision and Title Fight Hyperview. And Mm -hmm. both those albums came out a couple of months apart in 2015, produced by the same guy, helping the two different bands make the exact same style shift. Yet the production on the two albums is completely different. He managed Um, to help those two albums completely sound different from each other, which most, like a lot of producers would have completely just ended up slapping the same fucking sheen on both records and that was not the case there. So my point is... Preload me, a really,
1: template and, in Pro Tools and just like, here yeah. we go, same oh, thing. I,
0: yeah, no. I did this with Title Fight a few months ago. Yeah. I'll just do it, you know, it's a complete different fucking sonic experiment. So he completely, he started from the ground up with them to help them do the same thing in a different way because he's a damn fine producer.
1: He so is he, amazing.
0: And, the, and like And especially with Turnovers Records, because you've heard Turnover's progression and he's been their producer and also an additional songwriter, Mm. he has helped them with each record kind of redefine themselves production-wise as well. And that and like that's what I'm saying with myself in the way to me, it not only feels like the culmination of like all the past previous records and like it's like the record they were always destined to make. But hearing Will Yip's production, it's almost like you've heard Will Yip progress as a producer through the records and grow as a producer Mm. from juicing these shoegazy, dream poppy, post-punk songs on peripheral vision to the fucking nuanced Fucking retro futuristic disco house that makes up the bulk of this record because, like that, let's. That's the thing. This album has more in common with funky disco house than it does with fucking emo.
1: As you said, uh, in in uh, previously, like this is, I mean, barely a rock record. If it's a rock record, it's like it's an alternative funk rock album maybe psychedelic disco house Ish, psychedelic disco it's it's great but I I just had to mention the production everything is so lush it's all precisely mixed it's constructed beautifully in the context of the record stunning but these right,
0: transitions as well oh those
1: transitions are beautiful I've I've already mentioned my my issues with Stone Station, so we'll move on. Tears of Change, the first track proper, like immediately I was struck by the the loose, almost jazzy feel. It's like yeah. really dreamy, it's soulful. That little guitar riff that becomes the repeated motif throughout the song it's is gorgeous. great. It's great. And uh, it's a really, really strong, actual start to the album. Really, really love Tears of Change, really good.
0: But then you get into the title track,
1: which Off is me, the man.
0: one which features Brandon Yates from Turnstile and when they first put this out as a single that was my first taste of realising that they were kind of like I've said already they'd gone complete disco house mm. like the rhythm of this track is a house track like it, the way the drum the drum rhythm goes and the those scents and the jangle of the it's a fucking disco house song it reminds me of something off like i mentioned daft punk earlier it reminds me of something off of like random axis memories the last daft punk album where they really embraced their
1: funky disco side but throughout this record there's a, there is a direct line from nile rodgers and chic throughout the record um
0: really, like i i oh, sorry when i was reading earlier that quote about the band mm-hmm oh taking time out skateboarding volunteer firefighting in this same release it even says vocalist and guitarist Austin Getz cites Quincy Jones Chic and Dark Side of the Moon as the primary yeah. influences and there is there is a huge Nile Rodgers and Chic influence on this completely. massive
1: massive and i think um particularly on like something like myself in the way I love the, like there's proper funk vibes on the guitar. Like I think it might be a wah pedal. It might be something more sophisticated than a wah pedal. But you know, what the, the, yeah, and it's got that like, the, oh. it's got a bouncy bass line. It's got this really skipping kind of drum beat. Uh, it's great. The I love the Day um, Slip By The Brendan Yates bit. Yeah, I love the Brendan Yates bit. It's so good. Um, I think the level of Banger they reach on this track is like really fucking high. Like this is an absolute tune. It's a spectacular song. And like every time I listen to the album, I found myself more enraptured by the song. This song, um, I, I, it's so brilliant. And like I can see, I can see why they made it the title track. I'm not yeah. sure if it's my favorite, but it might be the best song on the record. If that makes sense,
0: one hundred percent. I totally yeah. yeah, agree. Whereas the next song on the album might actually be one of my favourites. Way too long.
1: Way too long is my favourite. It's a fucking tune, It is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's so dreamy. It's so nostalgic. It's contemplative. And it's this really lovely pocket that the band find themselves in. And... And... I think when they when they're in this way too long pocket, it's some of the most successful they are throughout the record. It's really really good. I think this is such a strong like. I don't know. You might. I don't know if you'll agree with me now. Um, so like, imagine you're you're out some night in in London and you've had a great night and you've you've met some lovely people and you may have partaken in some illegal substances possibly and you're you're just kind of blissed out and you're on like a London bus home and you're just watching the 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 night as uh, uh, the night landscape of London pass you by, that's what way too long does for me. Like it just puts me to this kind of like just this really like blissed out, happy mellow, but full of kind of love and joy and it's just it's a I, really be- beautiful it's a gorgeous song. I know
0: exactly what you mean. It's even those it's those lovely. It's like that it's got that lovely lush jangle in the hook but then there's those real psychedelic synths the little synth lines and they're a bit squelchy and a little hallucinatory and it's fucking gorgeous it's and i beautiful. even know and i love get you know at the, and there is that as always austin getz is great a kind of he's very much a lyricist that isn't trying to change the world his lyrics are very much about him and and not, and not about and not in a self-centered way, but they're very much about like him processing just life as it happens, relationships and and kind of experiences and trying to be better with his depression and and I find his lyrics, because his lyrics are so kind of introspective they're very relatable mm-hmm. and so and even that opening line in Wait too long the, you know it's hard enough just to get along uh, without thinking much about anyone else. Today, my friend asked for a favor and I told him I was too busy to help him, you know, and it is that kind of thing of like, and then he finds himself feeling bad that he said no later on when he's doing nothing. But, you know, it's like he's like, you know, I need it's like I need I'm focusing enough energy on being able to do nothing peacefully that I can't look out for someone else like at the same. So there is like there's and I find there's a strange dichotomy with how chilled out and vibey the song is, but the lyrics are quite like over analytical of his own behavior Mm. and shit you know sometimes I don't think I like having these bright ideas when I can't explain them any better
1: but it's kind of like that contemplative kind of vibe like is really there it's really kind of thoughtful or something yeah you know it's um yeah and I think I think the quality stays really high for the next song as well people that we know Uh, I I love the the brass section on it, man. It's got the funkiest of funky bass lines. Um, the bass line is just outrageous. I love the little synth bursts as well. And the sax solo is like careless whisper levels of wonderful. Like it's unreal. Great track.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the one that almost goes into the hook is almost like 1975 territory that early 1975, that, that revival. Of real like '80s funk, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the sax comes in, and the the slapping of the bass line. And I also really love the lyrics on this
1: one because, to me, oh, can I just say as well? Um, I I haven't gone in on the lyrics at all because for for whatever reason, I found myself like just letting the album kind of. Bathe me a little bit. Yeah. I, did, I I never really analyzed it like lyrically or anything. So uh, a, a lot of what you're saying with the lyrics now is probably going to like wash over me a little bit. So my apologies.
0: Well, like I said, Austin gets his lyrics. They're not. There's there's no fucking. You know, there's no songs about like about crazy shit in there. Mm. It's very much introspective kind of thoughts and kind of it's. That's why I find it's very relatable and unpretentious. And on people that we know, because the I always get mixed up. The band are either from Virginia Beach or Long Island. I think they might be from Virginia Beach and then they relocated to Long Island not long after that. But I know that Austin Getz lives in California now. So
1: They're from Virginia Beach, yeah.
0: They're from Virginia Beach and they'd relocated to Long Island, New York. And now, I'm not sure where they all live, but I know that Austin Getz lives in California. So there's... Th- that track lyrically it seems to kind of paint a picture of f- maybe feeling like he's a bit outside of the scene as much as he used to be like the opening line i'm not sure if he's t- if it's a club he's talking about or if he's actually talking about the band basement but he actually the, the first line in the song is everyone's going to be out at basement friday uh i can hop on the red eye tonight from Oakland, but it's a long way to get there from california i don't has know to man be the
1: it has, must to has to be talking about the band, has to be.
0: Because it's not like I I when I first heard the song I thought he said everyone's going to be at a basement Friday mm. and I thought maybe he meant like there's just some party at his mate's gaff, but then reading the lyrics it's everyone's going to be out at basement Friday. Uh it's a maybe I could catch a Red Eye tonight from Oakland. It's a long way to get there from California. I don't know, maybe I'll make it to the next one. Mm. So there is that kind of thing of like Oh, we're all going to go to the see basement Friday. Like he's like, oh yeah, I could, I could fucking make it from California. I could, uh, you know what? I'll go to the next one, and uh, and that's what happens every time. Like, and then I love that line, you know, because obviously if he lives in California, the weather's nicer and stuff. And they're in the hook. He says, "Uh, you know, let's go where there's water in the air and people that we know." Yeah, and you know, I get this image of going back to your rainy hometown. You know, if you live away from home and, you know, where there's water in the air and people that we know, I just think that's a lovely image of like going back to a place where the weather is a bit shitter, it's a bit rainy and cold, but there's people that we know there. Yeah,
1: and it's there's a bit- the familiarity like, yeah.
0: I mean, that's my home. Like I'll go back. So I just love that. And then the fact that you have that lovely line, which I just think is, is, is just really nice. And then you have Justin Bartlett underneath with the, the sax just fucking going, ham <laughs> on it. Yeah. Like, fucking gorgeous and at this point you know great track yeah and like I said at this point you know even listening to the record the first time by the time I'd gotten to people that we know I just remember thinking yeah good riddance to people who still want turnover to sound like they did on Magnolia if you can't handle yeah. how like this was obviously the, the, the direction they were meant to go and they knew that they were very after Magnolia they quickly realised this isn't what we want to make this is not what we want our legacy to be And from peripheral vision onwards, like, but even still, like, uh, even though, like I said, their bassist said in an interview that where they would go from now on after peripheral vision wouldn't be as drastic a shift as it was from Magnolia to Peripheral Vision. There's been a progression through these four latest records, but that being said, there's still a big fucking difference between Peripheral Vision and myself in the way.
1: Huge, yeah. Uh, I love how um in the excerpt you read out that Austin said one of his influences was Pink Floyd or or Dark Side of the Moon. it's like, well, you didn't need to tell us that because we can just hear it on Mountain Made of Clouds because it's just like, hello, Pink Floyd, you know. Um, Actually, I like it a lot again. Um, I think that this is the start of where my kind of problems with the album maybe start to come in, because I think at this stage we've had four absolute fucking ragers, as in I am all in. Um, I love, I really like Mountain Red of Clouds, but I just think that it feels like, I I think it feels like an interlude rather than an idea deserving of its own full length song. Um, and I think that actually might be representative of the idea behind the record as a whole, like it's languid and loose and it's not in any like great hurry to give you the, the answers, you know, to present you with a climax. Um, but, like, the bird sounds and the outro can get in the fucking pin. like, if I'm honest. Like, you know, just...
0: I couldn't disagree with you more. I think Mountains Made of Clouds is a fucking lush standout on the album.
1: I, I like it, but it's just... I think it's just... It is too long.
0: Nah, and... man. I, I think it's a proper love letter, like you said, to Dark Side of the Moon mm. and real psychedelic prog bands. It, it almost has a bit of... I wouldn't say yes, but like there is a real retro. There's that retro, like like I said, psychedelic prog vibe in it, and a, mm. just the coders and is all. There's almost like a Tame Impala vibe, but it sounds a lot more retro than Tame Impala do. I, I even just the even the hook when when like you know. You know, it's all great, Vance, and the fucking and the, the fourth quarter goes full. Mm. I just think and then I love the end of the outro the little acoustic kind of diddy and the fucking
1: I hate I, that.
0: I love it, man. I I I think Mountains Made of Clouds is one of the standouts on the album. I think and I, it's a bit long, and it is, but I think that's the point. It's meant to be this real dreamy. I
1: do think that is the point. Like I do think yeah, that yeah, it's
0: meant to be hypnotic. Yes, yeah, so it is, and yeah. And, and like and that's one thing, words I would often use as you know to to discredit or, or or talk shit on an album are words that i find positives on this record like mm-hmm. i will say myself in the way is very so, self-consciously and purposefully slow and meandering and that's the point this is it's meant to feel like like coming up off a psychedelic or coming down it's mm-hmm. meant to be slow and dreamy like i said this is if you're doing if you're like this isn't an album you could put on and be doing two other things because the album will just breeze by you and you'll, you won't you will notice anything. It mm. It isn't like a fucking punk album where it's like you can bop away and kind of be in with it. This is an album that you kind of need to listen to.
1: Otherwise, yeah, I, I, I agree
0: it will yep. just pass you by and you'll be like, what was that? It's like, because you weren't listening. You And that, I'm not trying to sound pretentious, but you really need, because the, al- because the album is so chill and like you said, it's not in any rush. It's not no. out to pump your adrenaline like at all. It's not an album to listen to in the gym. Like. No,
1: no. Um, the next track then, Ain't Love Heavy. The intro is way too fucking long. Way too long. It's like a minute and forty seconds before anything happens. It's way too long. I love that
0: intro, though. I love it. I I
1: liked I liked thirty seconds of it, but the rest of it is too long. It it doesn't evolve. You know, like it just stays there. It just stays there. This is and you
0: and me. This is you and me. Like if we were producers in a studio, like arguing, yeah, fighting, for, yeah. yeah, because you're like that's nice and enjoyable and lush, but get to the fucking song. Yeah, and I and I'm of the side of oh, but it is nice and lush sounding.
1: <laughs> so we just stay here.
0: <laughs> yeah, give me another twenty five seconds of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I totally like I, but I am an indulgent passage. You're probably right, and the band were probably like new as well. They were like, this is a bit yeah. indulgent, but I also do think I, I I completely I totally see where you're coming from in terms of it being too long of an intro, but I also have this and maybe. Maybe I'm in my head about this because I I have the record on vinyl now, but because it's the track that starts side B, I do find that it's it's almost like a midpoint. It's almost like an extended interlude. It's like a palate clean cleanser. And uh, then had,
1: that would add you know weight to the outro of Mountains by the Clouds As Well. Yeah, you know, as in this it, is the end of side A and ah, yeah. this is and the this start is so exactly. you could be right you could be right yeah uh, that would actually make a lot of sense and you can you know when you flip over the record or whatever that you were starting off again okay because Okay. Gone, I gone, might like, give him a pass so if if that's what you're saying it, it,
0: I've listened to it enough times now that it just feels like because you go you have Stone Station and then it, you, you get hit with Tears of Change myself in the way uh, way too long people that we know mountains made of clouds so at that point you're like whoa that's like half that's a big block mm. of a record so it really feels like the end, the outro, the mountains Way of clouds, and then that extended intro to Ain't Love Heavy is very much kind of, let's take a breather. Mm. Let's take a little break from the voices, from the, the songs, and let's just have, like, get up, stretch your legs. It feels like a bit of, like, a, just the a kind of, just bring everything down, and then it slowly comes back up with Ain't Love Heavy. I think that's a conscious... I can see that. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Um, and I, I also I, think Ain't Love Heavy is gorgeous, especially the, the brain Moral feature.
1: Uh, uh, so voice. good. Gorgeous. So good. I think it tries to be like a halfway house between like a banger in like Myself and the Way and then like m- the more dreamy side, like in you know, Mountains made of Clouds. I- I'm not sure it actually really takes off until Bree Morrell comes in. And yes. she actually sounds quite like Dua Lipa, which is A-OK with me. Um, she's from the band Temple of Angels, who I've, I've never heard of. But um, she's, she's fucking great on here. I actually think she elevates the song to a point greater than the sum of its parts, you know, she really adds yeah. a, a beautiful sheen on top of the song. Excellent, really, really great. Um, yeah, and that's kind of there's there's three features on the record
0: there's Brendan Yates from Turnstile at the end of Myself in the Way, and then Bray Morrill on Ain't Love Heavy, and then Justin Bartlett is the sax player who shows up on People That We Know, and he's the and he's on the Stone Station reprise. I think. I can't I, I I'm I could be wrong, but I am nearly certain that Justin Bartlett is the same sax player who was on their last album altogether. But okay. but for some reason they opted to actually credit him as a featured artist this time rather than just being like in the credits sax on these tracks by mm. Justin Bartlett. But I but I do think that he he makes a very notable difference to, to his appearances. But I definitely love I, I think Ain Love Heavy is great. I think Bray Morales feature lovely but then like i said earlier the transitions on this record the first like one or two times i listened to the record i didn't realize when ain't love heavy finished and pleasures galore had started yeah. now pleasures galore is one of my favorite songs on this record and it might be a strange choice but i and it took me a little while to really click with it but now after really digging with it the the super vocoder all over Austin gets his vocal the auto tune
1: yeah yeah the auto
0: tune it 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 all to me this track this track almost sounds consciously like a Daft Punk song.
1: Well, I think that it shows like that even the shittest of inventions uh, can be used as positive in the hand of someone like Williip, You know, I think that that the auto tune vocal actually sounds great, and that weird you know that weird sounding melody. It's like um. It's like almost like a high pitched theremin, but on a synth or something. It's really, yeah. It's really
0: strange. Oh, that's that's like why I love the song so much. That yeah. to me, at the end of the hook, when that 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 little, it's like oh, yeah, it's like it's like playing the, it's like the whistling sound of a theremin, but played on a synth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it really cool. Um, Gorgeous. And the the bass line is excellent um I like the the funky guitar line that comes in at the end and that pumping like right in the center right in the middle of your face like the kick drum that comes in sounds great yeah, that's and that's um, why
0: I'm saying it really it actually reminds Pleasures Galore actually reminds me of like digital love yeah of- it has that real funky disco house early Daft Punk vibe with the really heavily auto-tuned vocal. It it really, really gave me strong Daft Punk vibes, mm. which I never thought a fucking, a band who started out as an emo band on Run For Cover Records would give me Daft Punk vibes by their fifth album, like.
1: Um, so as I've already mentioned the Stone Station stuff does very little for me but the reprise does feature a fucking killer sax solo so yeah. it's much more worthy of its inclusion I think than the intro and I think if that had just been Stone Station and it have been an interlude I'd have far less of a problem with it do you know? Um,
0: oh no 100% I get that it, it, it should have just started with Tears of Change and yeah. then you could have just called Stone Station reprise Stone Station exactly yeah. like sax solo interlude Yeah, because it is I mean, I could literally pull out my micro and go and that's stone station. Yeah. it's
1: like it's being pointless I get that. Um fantasy though is very interesting. Um, because I think it's in stark contrast to the heavily auto-tuned vocal of Pleasure Galore, you know? Um and it shows some like tuning weaknesses in Getz's vocal. You know, like some like particularly on the verses, I'm not I'm not quite sure he's getting to where he's aiming for, you know, vocally. But the chorus is very, very good, though. And some of the I think some of the effects on show here are a bit much. I feel like there's too much going on. And I think like a removal of one element, uh, you know, one musical element would have benefited the song. There's like. And like, you know, the, there's a high pitched like synth that comes in on the second chorus. Like yeah. it's, ah, I felt that like we did not need that at all. The, 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 the this sounds a bit wanky, but like the sonic landscape was already very full. You know, there was, yeah. uh, uh, and I felt like that, that high pitched synth, it doesn't, I don't think it added to the song at all, you know, because I thought the chorus was actually pretty strong. So when that comes into the second chorus, I, I wasn't sure it really worked for me anyway.
0: I I get what you mean, but I also, I really, I really like fantasy. I I, Like I said, I really love this whole album, but I do Mm. think there's, there does seem to be a conscious effort to, mm, what am I trying to say here? Like peripheral vision and good nature do a lot with a two guitar, bass and drum setup, you know, with, with the effects they use and the delay and they really try and make, Like as you said, like a sonic, as a sonic, sonically full landscape as possible. Mm -hmm. Where then, with all together, the fact that they get started, like really experimenting with synthesizers and keyboards and programmed strings and shit like that, there seems to be. And now myself in the way is like I said, the culmination of all this. There does seem to be. There seems to be uh, an effort, a conscious effort to make this as busy as possible.
1: What yeah, and I just feel like some awesome. parts of it could have benefited from, you know, a little bit of restraint, maybe just.
0: I get that. I get that. But you know I mean? also, yeah, but I also uh, I think the album, like I've said already, it's meant to have this psychedelic, hallucinatory disco feel to it where where it's almost like the like the paints peeling off the walls and the synths are kind of like overwhelming you a little bit it, it, it's it's quite trippy in a way and I think that there is Very trippy, and maybe yeah. that's the point maybe that's the point it's meant to be like Jesus Christ these sins are coming from left and fucking right mm. but at the same time it could just be a little bit of overindulgence that might have benefited from some, from some trimming I kind I do see where you're coming from I think there's I, probably
1: an argument yeah. for both sides of that you know it, it, yeah. like that it is it's self-indulgent but on purpose it, it, you know yes. what I mean like that's what yeah.
0: that's what this whole that's almost what this whole album feels like yeah it feels very very muted and hush and like you said like not not in a hurry and meandering and it really seems it's almost disinterested in in your in your listening experience it's almost there for itself and and these sound like negatives but this it almost it sounds like the most consciously in self-indulgent album I've heard in a while without being like fucking 88 minutes long or something yeah. like that. Like still um, a manageable record. Like
1: Yeah, you see, it's funny. It's, it's just interesting that you bring that up now. The last two tracks, I'm at this point, every time I listen to the album, I got a bit bored. And I think the Queen in the River is a little bit of a nothing song for me. I
0: do. I agree. Queen in the River is the weakest song on the album. I, I will meet you there right now.
1: There, it, uh, I like like there's a full on like indie, like jangle guitar at the start and whatever. I was like, oh, OK, this is a bit different. And then it kind of it devolves into not nothingness, but like, I don't know, just like it just seems like a little bit of a pointless track to me. Um, I And I do begin to feel a little bit jaded not quite bored but getting there
0: it, do, it it sounds like it has it sounds like it has the least going on for it
1: yeah it really as, does yeah
0: uh composition wise i mean there's so many like like every time you listen to the title track myself in the way or way too long or people that we know or even mountains made of clouds or pleasures galore there's there's things you're like oh i didn't fucking notice that last mm. time so where is Queen of the River sounds very back to basics performance wise, but almost maybe that's the point. Maybe it's meant to be a more simple kind of penultimate track after all of the the trippiness and the synths and the overlaying of effects and a million takes. And maybe it's meant to be just more of a simple kind of song.
1: Possibly. Um,
0: But it it does, it, it, it suffers under the weight of its preceding tracks. Definitely.
1: Yeah, um, I think the Board of God slash Orlando, then it's like the Beatles meets Pink Floyd, a little bit of art school as well. Um, I
0: I love, I actually love the the closing double track, uh,
1: Board yeah. of God in Orlando. I really do. I'm not into it at all, actually. Um, to be honest, at this point, I'm I'm really I'm waiting for the album to end. you at checked this point. Out. Uh, It's weird, man, and it, it it happened like the first time, and I was like, okay, this is just something new. It's I I I need to give this time. Every time I listen to the album, I think Queen in the River just like pops my balloon and I'm just like. Do
0: you know what you should, maybe, maybe you should go and check out Altogether because Myself in the Way is 12 tracks. Mm. And it's about 46 minutes. Is it uh, that long? Uh. Yeah, it's about 45, 46 minutes. It's just over three quarters of an hour, I think. But the, la- the album before that Altogether is 10 tracks and it's 34 mm. minutes. So it's a little tighter. Yeah, and it's a similar vibe. So maybe altogether it might be more your bag.
1: Maybe. Um I think that the way they finish the track as well is really weird. It's like kind of lacklustre ending to the album. But I, I like,
0: but I like that because it's like Board of God is obviously like its own track, which mm-hmm. makes two thirds of the, or even three quarters of the bulk. And Board of God is a really nice, chill, atmospheric kind of closing track. But then I love... The, the short almost ditty that Orlando is just that repeated phrase and mm. like that night in Orlando and I just think it's a real I, I just think it's just, it's just a nice odd way to end the record on and I think it's probably because the biggest moments kind of happen earlier on the record and
1: mm. absolutely 100% yeah, yeah.
0: I think they opted for that that they didn't want the album to end on this on a big banger they wanted that to be part of the main journey whereas the album kind of what at the end it winds down almost like a party or like mm. like le- like leaving a home leaving a town it's like there's a lot of imagery about being on buses and shit like that and traveling in, in board of god and at the end of orlando so it seems like it's a conscious like almost dis- distillation of everything a winding down and there's less vocal order, there's less synth, there's less effects mm. and gets kind of more like upfront with his vocal. I, Yeah, I kind of, like I said, Queen of the River, a Little, it's definitely the weakest track in the album. But I really think Border God Orlando is a really nice, gentle kind of closer. And, and it kind of suits the album because it's, at this point, a lot of like the, the, the drugs have worn off, the psychedelic haze mm. is gone. A lot of the effects are pulled back the synths and and it is kind of it's a it's like a resetting of everything it could it, it can't be that it, the trip can't last forever so i i feel like th- at the end of uh orlando it's really kind of everything's kind of muted and calm again and and it's just a real kind of just gentle unpretentious way to finish it like i hmm. I, I kind of get what they're going for in that ending, but i totally okay. get why it might feel a bit lackluster to you as well i totally do
1: yeah do you know what man i had absolutely no idea what to expect from this record um given I had no like concrete history with the band. But I have to say I was like really taken aback by how much I enjoyed pretty much all of it. Like I said, I do have I have my annoyances with it. I I do think it's a bit long. Um I think some of the songs are a bit long. Um but the content for the most part is very, very good. Um I've seen like reviews. I read a few reviews, you know, just in the research or whatever and like they've swung Wildly from like rubbish to average to pretty good. And I think pretty good is about as far as I would go with this, too. I think in between Stone Station and Stone Station Reprise, we have about six songs which are extremely strong. That's a really, really strong run of songs. And there's a couple of outstanding tracks, you know, within those few. Um, After that, I do, I do, it does lose me a little bit. Um, It's still quite a nice place to be, but uh, by the end, every time I have been waiting for it to finish. Um, And I think that there are definitely some weaker songs that are propped up by exceptional production. And then some fantastic songs, which are elevated by the production. Uh, my favorite thing about the record is Will Yeap, definitely. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really, really do, I do enjoy this for the most part. And I, like I said, that run um, of Tears of Change, Myself in the Way, Way Too Long, People That We Know, Owens, many Clouds and Ain't Love Heavy, and also Pleasure Galore. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tracks. like. I'm I'm very very much on board. Um, I would go, like like I was saying, pretty good, because because of the way it finishes. Um, fantasy is 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 good, but it's only okay. Queen of the River, as I said, I'm not gone, and I really am. Um, I'm checked out. Maybe that's a me issue rather than a turnover issue, you know. Uh, but I'm a bit checked out by the end. So I would go like a really really strong six, but probably a seven out of ten for me. Um, and that would be as that would kind of be as high as I would go with it I think but what I do enjoy on the record I really enjoy if that makes sense you know what the those seven tracks I enjoy like eight or nine out of ten and then the rest of it really just drags it, it all down if, if that makes sense
0: No I totally get where you're coming from and I, I'm really glad that like there were parts of it you were able to really love because I'm, oh, I'm just...
1: Some of it is inescapably brilliant
0: Yeah Uh, Because I'm not trying to sound pretentious or nothing, but like I guess, like I I'm like I'm so fucking like I'm not deep on turnover by now, you know. Mm. I've been I've been with them for with them for nearly a decade now, like and fucking and I've really fucked with all their creative decisions and where they've gone and, but like I understood why people were arced with peripheral vision after Magnolia. I understood why people were underwhelmed by good nature after peripheral vision i understood why people who wanted an emo band checked out by the time altogether rolled around so i get i I, every turnover album has its minute controversies so i get why myself and the way some people are like i can already get this sound from real estate and tame impala and I, other people are like, I don't want my fucking emo band to sound like disco house and sound like Nile Rodgers and Daft Punk, and and other people, other people just find it boring, and and then other people say, like, I I get all of the complaints. I but that's really kind do. of
1: just that's kind of people getting bogged down by genre tags, really, because like good music is good music. Like I I always kind of say there, there's two types of music. There's good music and there's bad music. Like you know what I mean? Like and it's just like as I said, that seven track run in between the two stone stations is fucking excellent. Like it's really? excellent. Like there's three, like nine and a half, 10 out of 10 tracks inside there. Like they are some of the best tracks of the year, like excellent, excellent music. And I just think that those people are like, no, I don't want it, you know? And you're kind of like, but this band are haven't been that that band since 2013 or 2014, yeah. you know. So yeah, they have
0: one album. One yeah, and you're album. holding on to that like it's yeah, it's really one album strange. Out of five, like yeah, they yeah. like they had an EP, a couple of splits, and one album, and people still want that band, and I'm like, it's really that strange. Patch is gone, like yeah, mm. they they were barely figuring out what band they were then, mm. and like so like I mean they, they are very much. The, there are there are two turnovers. There's the turnover before peripheral vision and there's the turnover after peripheral vision. And I consider the turnover after peripheral vision to be one of my favorite bands. And but I get why they're not for everyone. And I get why some people even just even in this day and age people who wouldn't be familiar with Magnolia and the early stuff, like I can get why oh, how do I word this? It does sound like a cunt or like dissing people. I get why, yeah. I uh, fuck it. I get why pitchfork people and fucking people who pretend to know about modern music and pretend to know about tunes would be like, like I said earlier. I listen to Real Estate and I listen to Tame Impala. So why, like, why would I need a, a, a like a band from a label like Run for Cover, like a, a, a punk label, an emo label? Why would I need a band to like? Write music like this when I get music like this better from other bands, and I'm like, I've listened to Tame Impala, and especially that last album is fucking shite.
1: They um, bore the fucking tits same. off me.
0: So, like, I, I, I personally, even though I'm a big Turnover fan, like you don't even know Turnover up to this point. So, no, you, like, I think myself in the way is a far more sonically interesting record than Tame Impala's last album, and I do think that, like.
1: I think but there's it's, something... it's far more sonically interesting than fucking Magnolia. Yes, exactly. Like it's way better than Magnolia. Way better. Wait, what are you saying now? I'm saying that Myself in the Way is way better than Magnolia. Their first album. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's of course it is. Way better th- than it. Like, well, I don't th- understand th- these people pining for those days when they're a I'm... far better band. But I'm not talking even about people
0: who are pining for Magnolia. I'm talking for people who like wouldn't really know Turnover and would see them as, oh, they're like a punk band from a Mm -hmm. punk label who are trying to genre hop into a genre that like bands like Tame Impala and Real Estate already do better. And it's like, I think there's something far more interesting about a band who came from punk and emo who've developed and progressed into this sound and are utilizing all these outside influences rather than a band who are like, oh, we're a psychedelic prog revival band and this is all we do. And like, yeah. and the, it, it, like, no, I, I find turnover far more interesting
1: than Tame Impala. This turnover record is much better than anything I've ever heard from Tame Impala.
0: Yeah, so. thank you. Because I saw Pitchfork refer to this as Tame Impala Lice. And I was like, "This is better than Damon bala And I don't think well, I'm alone. With that. So I'm glad to hear you. Confirm no, that.
1: no, no. This is I. I mean, I like I said, they bore the fucking tits off me. This is fun and it's interesting and it's nice and it's it's playful and it doesn't take itself too seriously. I don't think. Um, no, like I said, the lyrics are they're, great. They're,
0: the lyrics are introspective without being too heavy-handed. Mm. They they draw on they bring up problems and issues we all face and relate to without ever trying to say that there's any solutions or that he has any solutions. He's just bringing these thoughts up and and, and just, just a little introspective kind of connection between the listener and, 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 the lyrics. And, and it's, they're there just to kind of, to just make you think and make you mull over some stuff. It's not trying to sort out your life. And that's what the album is as well. The album is very much, Take the trip, think about some things, dwell on some shit, and vibe, and that's kind of what it. It's a really, like you said, playful, unpretentious record. I think.
1: I think so. Yeah. I, I It's like I said, it's greatly enjoyable for most of its runtime, Um and you obviously you you disagree in that you enjoy it in its entirety. You know, I love it. Yeah, I give it Good. about eight out of ten. I'd say. Cool. i uh, um, I'm. I I think it's great that like you as a fan of the band you enjoyed our new output as well. So um yeah, I think I think uh, to be fair, like we're fucking two big thumbs up here from for the record for this record, I think. You know, I can
0: safely say that maybe not in the for the record one, but in my personal top twenty, I can see turnover myself in the way having to play
1: my top twenty of the year. Cool. Um yeah, oh speaking of our top twenty, that's only a couple of weeks away. Oh, it's um, coming
0: up. It's coming
1: up. But before we it's get there,
0: there.
1: before, <laughs> nice. Uh, before we get there, next week, we decided, because releases do kind of start to slow down around this time because people come boiling end of year list or whatever, we're going to do episode two of For the Record Essentials. And we are, we're taking on the monumental task of trying to sum up one of the greatest albums of all time. Once again, um, would you like to tell the people what we're doing, Zach?
0: For the Record Essentials, Episode 2, Blue Album. Yeah, boy. Weezer's debut. I cannot wait. One of the greatest alternative rock, power pop, pop punk, rock, 90s era albums. Music. One of the greatest
1: music albums ever.
0: One of the greatest music albums ever. And and, an album that anyone who has 0.1% of any bit of respect or knowledge for alternative music had a copy of in their gap yeah. at one point in their
1: life, like. And if you haven't heard it, dear listener, we're going to give you plenty of reasons why when we get to next week. Um, I fear that there's going to be very little criticism throughout that. It's just going to be fawning praise. We'll try and give you some nuance as well.
0: What I do think will be interesting is how much you and I both like fucking simp over this record, but. How much you and I's opinion and uh, and feelings on Weezer vastly diverge yeah. after that album, so that that'll be interesting. There'll be moments of like, you know, jerking each other off, and then there'll Pretty be much, moments yeah. of, hey, hey,
1: hey, yeah. hey.
0: In 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 the midst of it, so it's going to be a pretty fucking strange episode. I'm really psyched to be. I'm honest.
1: so psyched. I think it's such a great. That was Zach. Zach decided to to do that, and I was like a hundred percent. So um, we'll see you next week for that. In the meantime, you can catch us on Facebook and Instagram for the Record Pod, and we'll be back next week with for the Records Essentials episode two, Weezer the Blue Album, and after that. We're doing our top 20 albums of 2022. It's going to be a bloodbath because I have no idea how I'm going to fit all these albums into 20.
0: I literally haven't even begun to to like correlate my list. I've got my list at about 67 at the moment. So I need to trim it down to 50 to make the top 50. But once I trim it down to those 50, like I have no fucking clue where to be. I actually have no idea where I'm going to like, how I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. I will say in the meantime, listen to turnover myself in the way. If you want to have a nice chilled out time, uh, don't listen to it in the gym. Turnstyle for the gym, turnover for the the, the, the chilled out afternoon at home on the couch.
1: I agree. And that's what I'm going to go do right now. I'm going to have a chilled out afternoon on the couch. And I hope you do too. Thanks a million to everyone for listening. Sorry again about the delay. Um, We hold our hands up. Well, we also kind of blame other people, internet providers, but um, we're Please. going to be more consistent from now on, hopefully. Um, we'll talk to you next week for the Blue Album. I'm so excited. Uh, my name is Sean Tierney. Thank you so much. Music is the best. I'm Zach Bogie. Bye.